0: One, two, one. Fair fair he hits it in He's got the goal. He's got the premium shot. He has gone from, as I said, a captain to a legend. And probably rugby league immortality. That's not a trial, that's a miracle. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru podcast. Gonna get stuck into the The top 20. We're actually going to do 20 down to five. And then we're going to do the top five tomorrow morning, Saturday morning of our most dramatic moments in rugby league. I just feel like the top five, they deserve their own podcast because they are some unbelievable moments. Top 20, still very good though. Let's dive into number 19. This, of course, comes from the 100 most dramatic moments in rugby league history. This is a magazine that was published in 2007. So it was up until 2007. We will on Monday do our top 10 or 10 moments that we think since 2007 that would make it in here, and there are quite a few, so we'll get stuck into those soon. But number 19, South's back-from-the-dead premiership. September 17, 1955. South's premiers for four of the previous five years were down and out in the 10-team premiership. Second last on the ladder were just three wins from the first 10 rounds. The Rabbitohs, they won 11 straight games, all effectively sudden death to win the title. The pinnacle moment was a match-winning side Goal by the legendary Clive Churchill, whilst he had a broken arm wrapped in a makeshift cardboard cast. Asked Manley at Redfern Oval that it gave South a nine to seven victory. South had to play the last four rounds and three finals matches without Churchill and several other players, but won them all to sneak into the top four. Before beating Manley in the semi-final with only twelve men for all but five minutes, then they beat Minor Premiers Newtown twelve to. 11 in the Premiership Final. Unbelievable there, especially that story of Clive Churchill kicking the goal from the sideline to win the game with a broken arm in a cast. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, You know, one of the smallest players to play a game, Clive Churchill, but a name that every single Rugby League fan knows. He is, of course, always remembered on Grand Final Day when we hand out the Clive Churchill Medal, which is quite fitting. The best player on the biggest stage, Grand Final Night. Absolutely love it. Let's move to number 18, Origins' most infamous tackle. June 7, 1983... It is a tackle that, over two decades later, still causes anyone who watches it to wince. This is the scene. Queensland prop Dal Broman takes the ball up in the opening game of the 1983 series and is met by Les Boyd, who smashes Broman's jaw with a blatant elbow to his face. Broman's legs buckle and he cum- crumbles to the ground. Now, of course, Dal Broman of uh, big man fame, uh, of course, on the radio, still was on the footy show for a number of years, champion fella. And this is sort of when you see him, you know, being funny on TV and taking the piss out of himself, the big man. Uh, You sort of forget that he was a very good player himself and that he was involved in this unbelievable moment. Broman was considered a good chance of being chosen for Australia's Tour of New Zealand starting the next week. Instead, he spent three months out while his replacement from the bench that night, Dave Brown, made the Aussie team. Referee Gary Gomesall did not even penalise Boyd for the tackle, but when Judiciary Chairman Jim Comans caught up with him, he was suspended for 12 months. Les Boyd, one of the toughest guys to ever play a game, but he got a 12 month suspension. I advise if you've got the stomach for it, type it up on YouTube. Go and have a look at that tackle. It's unbelievable. Number 17. This is a great one. This is just, this is rugby league folklore. Langlands White Boots Grand Final Disaster. September 20, 1975. This was, of course, Langlands versus Artie and two immortals going head to head. This was, the Roosters won in 75. They didn't win again all the way until 2002. It is sad that one of the most vivid memories of immortal Graham Langlands remains his white boots performance in the 1975 Grand Final against Eastern Suburbs. Langlands, the St. George captain coach, had a pain-killing injection for a troublesome groin that went wrong, rendering the leg almost useless. He looked a tragic figure, seemingly disorientated, and the fact he was talked into wearing white boots by a by mate and Adidas rep Ken Irvine only magnified his misfortune. Saints were behind only 5-0 at half time but despite an angry clash with officials Langland refused to be replaced at the break. East ran in 7 second half tries on the way to a grand final or to a record grand final score 38-0 with Langlands in forlorn limping before finally being replaced. Now of course let's go back to 1975 all the players are wearing black boots no one is wearing white boots. He was essentially the first guy to wear white boots uh in rugby league on grand final day as well um added us as we said ken irvine the, the great try scoring winger he was uh talked into wearing it. i don't know the exact details of this story but i've always heard about the langland's white boots i uh, got you know got this pain killing injection and it's sent, essentially sent his leg dead you can have a look at some of that on youtube i'm sure it'll be on there somewhere but he's just limping around just completely irrelevant in this game a guy that is obviously an immortal of our game one of the I would say 10 best players of all time, Graham Langlands. Unbelievable footballer. Uh, yeah, a pretty crazy story there to think. Like, imagine if that happened nowadays, that the best player for a team had an injection and this it sent their leg dead in the grand final. Unbelievable stuff. Add on top of that, the white boots. It is a wild, wild narrative. Let's go to number 15. And I think this is one that isn't spoken about enough. And if you have got any South Sydney uh, fans that are mates of yours, uh, they, you know, they will often remind you that they've won 21 premierships. They've done this, they've done that. Sounds like a lot like my girlfriend and I always remind her of this one number 15 Balmain forfeit final, September 19, 1909. So this is only in the second year of the existence of Rugby League in Australia. Have a listen to this one. If you don't know about this, this one will knock you for six. Balmain claimed the relegation of the 1909 Premiership final against South Sydney to a curtain raiser for the third Kangaroos vs. Walderby match was an insult to them and the occasion. So they were using the grand final as a curtain raiser to an Australian game, which is just wild to consider. So they refused to take part. The Wallabies-Kangaroos game was only scheduled as an extra to the initially planned three games as a means of reimbursing the private underwriter James Joynton-Smith, an issue that further uh, irked the Tigers, who also claimed the 2pm kickoff meant some of their players who were required to work on Saturdays in those days could not arrive on time. Imagine a world where... Players are not able to make it to the NRL Grand Final because they have a shift that day. This is what we're talking about, a completely different time. It was rumoured that South also considered aborting the match, but they played ball with with, with a fish and the Rugby League crown was decided by the Rabbitohs running onto the field, kicking off to no one, registering a try and being declared premiers. So the the longer part of this story, both teams agreed not to show up in protest. The Rabbitohs showed up, kicked off, picked the ball up, put it down, then stood around for 80 minutes, won the grand final 4 or 6 nil, whatever it was, whatever the point scoring system was there. So of those 21 premierships, always remind your South Sydney fans that one of those 21 premierships is quite possibly the dodgiest thing that has ever happened in the history of Rugby League. Apparently, it was a handshake agreement. They would not show up. The Bunnies suited up. Balmain still sitting at home, probably still uh, working on their shifts as well. Crazy to think about. Absolutely unbelievable. Let's go to number 13. Penalty try put Storm in the record books. You all remember this one, or most of you will anyway. Actually, in saying that, it's more than 20 years ago now, so some of you won't, which is scary for me to think about. September 26, 1999, video referee Chris Ward made the right call and the most sensational grand final call to send the premiership to Victoria for the first time and ensure a decider was won on a penalty try for the first time. It was also the first grand final at Telstra Stadium, played before a world record crowd. There were four minutes remaining with Melbourne behind 18-4 when Storm halfback Brett Kamali kicked right into the St. George Illawarra in goal. Dragon centre Jamie Ainsco took Storm winger Craig Smith high as Smith headed towards the turf with the ball in his hands, causing him to spill the ball. Referee Bill Harrigan asked for video intervention and the 107, 107 7,999 crowd and 1.5 million TV audience held their breath as video ref Ward replayed the incident before making the big decision. Penalty try, Melbourne. Matt Gaia landed the conversion kick from in front of the post for the Storm to win 20-18 after being behind 14-0 at halftime, one of the most unbelievable moments in rugby league history. I probably thought this one would be a little bit higher, to be honest with you. Um, this was obviously a world record crowd, as we said. It was the, f- the first grand final to be played at that stadium. It was also between the Melbourne Storm and the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Now, the Melbourne Storm, I believe they'd only come into the competition the year before. The St. George Illawarra Dragons had only come into the competition that year. So you had two clubs with a grand history of three years combined. Pretty crazy to think about. It. And... It wasn't the first time the premiership left Sydney, obviously. It had already gone to Brisbane, it had gone to Canberra. But it was the first time it had gone to Melbourne. And I guarantee you, if you would have said in 1998, when will the trophy arrive in Melbourne, I reckon the absolute earliest people would have guessed would have been 10 years from now. And people still would have laughed at that. For it to land there, only 18 months later, unbelievable to think about. Crazy there, and came down to that penalty try, which will always be Part of rugby league folklore. Speaking of rugby league folklore, one of my favourite moments of all time. Number 12, Andrew Johns and a Grand Final Fairy Tale. September 28, 1997. Of all the Grand Final tries and fairy tale premierships, none stand above Darren Albert's four pointer from a touch of Andrew Johns' genius, with just six seconds remaining in the 1997 Newcastle Manly Decider. It is a Grand Final memory that will never. Fade. The circumstances and fiction-like, Johns was in hospital with a with a perforated lung just days before and had doctors claiming he risked his life by playing. Manley had beaten the Knights in their 22 previous clashes. The Eagles were minor premiers entering their third straight grand final, while the Knights did not have one player. Who had any grand final experience, and it showed as they trailed 16 to eight at half time. With the scores locked at 16 all, Matthew Johns had a field goal attempt to hit the upright, and Andrew had another charge down. It was the last of the die, seconds remaining, and the Knights were fanned to the left for Matthew Johns to attempt another one pointer. When Andrew, when Andrew faked it, went from went right from dummy half and served up a free passage to grand final immortality for Knights winger you <laughs> Albert. Albert's try won Newcastle their first premiership and thousands of Novocastrians line the streets of their city to welcome home their team. Then they packed the Knights' home ground all night, celebrating the fairy tale of all Rugby League fairy tales. Unbelievable moment. There, I always think if Matty Johns would have hit that field goal, where would his career be? If the Knights win that grand final 17-16 or whatever it was and Matthew Johns kicks the winning field goal in the grand final, I always wonder where his career would be, how he would be remembered. He's more so remembered as a media personality or known as a media personality than a footballer, but a sensational player, a kangaroo, a premiership winner. Could have been kicking the winning field goal to win the grand final, which would be unbelievable. But... It's probably for the best it played out, the way it did. Joey Johns serving up one of the greatest plays in rugby league history, let alone grand final history. I always say there's the two biggest moments in uh, rugby league history or the two biggest plays in rugby league history by an individual. I always say it has to be either Joey Johns in 97 or Michael Morgan in 2015. For me, it has to be one of those two. Whichever order you have them in, I wouldn't argue with you. I probably have Michael Morgan slightly above Joey's because it was just off broken play. There was nothing on. Uh, So same as Joey's, but at least it was off a play the ball here. He had a second to look up. But that's not taking anything away from Joey's. As I said, if you want to put either of them, one and two, I couldn't argue with you. In saying that, we are talking about the greatest moments of all time. So that's... You know, two plays that went for six seconds or so out of 100 years of rugby league. So even if you go one and two, you, you can't possibly get offended by me uh, isolating these two. Two unbelievable moments. Also a lot uh, that was going on in the town of Newcastle. I believe uh, one of the mines had shut down or was saying you'd have to talk to someone from Newcastle to get a true understanding of the situation there. But I love whenever you hear Matt and Joey talk about it. Unbelievable stuff. Let's move to our next one. Number eight, Crow and Holmes are caught by Souths. Uh, This was March 19, 2006, not that long ago. Uh, The starkest evidence of the changing face of rugby league came last year. Remember, this was written in 2007. uh, When after months of speculation, South Sydney crossed into the hands of a movie star and a multi-millionaire businessman. Russell Crowe and Peter Holmes are caught, needed 75% of members to accept their $3 million bid to buy 75% of the game's most successful club. They scraped in by 32 votes, or 0.8%, ending one of the most emotional issues the game has seen and making South the only foundation club to fall into private hands. Club patriarch George Piggins, who initially lodged a legal challenge over the sale, cut all ties at the Rabbitohs. By July, the league's club also accepted a rescue package from Holmes Court. Really interesting here. Uh, There's a picture of Russell Crowe with three young boys. They are, of course, the Garlic boys, the sons of Sean Garlic, uh, one of which is playing down at the Melbourne Storm now, Bronson Garlic, and the other one, I forget his first name, but he's obviously of... uh uh, so social media fame. He's on. He's been on like those Bachelor in Paradise or whatever it is. I'm actually forgetting his name. Maybe it's Jackson. I think it is. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But pretty wild there. A big moment. I still remember when that vote was going on. And obviously, knowing a lot of people that were South Sydney fans, that was an emotional time. Now, number six. This is going to be our last one in this installment before tomorrow we dive into the top five. Absolutely love this one. We already mentioned Scott Sattler before. Number six is his father, John Sattler. Sats plays on with a broken jaw. September 19, 1970. We've already had Scott Sattler on the podcast tell this story, but I'll never get sick of hearing this one. It was a different game when it came to foul play in 1970. Just about anything was allowed in the traditional softening up period of a grand final or test match. So manly forward John Bucknell thought he would be the aggressor and not the victim when he took on the notoriously tough Souths Pack in what was their fourth straight grand final. From that decision came one of league's most legendary examples of courage. John Sattler played 70 minutes of the game with a badly broken jaw, courtesy of an off the ball blow from Bucknell. While Manley had possession, Bucknell hit an unsuspecting Sattler flush on the jaw with a forearm that followed through with a second swipe. Sattler, the south skipper, refused to hit the deck and asked a teammate to hold him up, saying, don't let me fall, I don't want these bastards to know I'm crook. He played on and led his side to a 20 20- Three to twelve victory, while his teammates targeted Bucknell so severely, he went off with a shoulder injury after 35 minutes. Now, Scott Sattler has come on and told these stories. You know, John Sattler was essentially after the game. Clive Churchill was the coach, and they were in the change rooms, and the media wanted to get in, and Clive sort of said, "Can I let them in?" And apparently, John was sort of like, "Yeah, yeah, let him in." And apparently, they they came in, and they asked him about the injury, and when he started to talk. His entire jaw just collapsed within his mouth and all just sort of fell into his chin. Said that all the media, like some of the media reporters, started vomiting on the spot. It was such a severe injury. And he played the entire grand final. He also played that grand final with a pretty famous jersey. Uh, Part of the Rabideau on his jersey was missing. And I believe... This jersey has since actually gone missing since that day, so someone has it, uh, and I don't think the Sattlers have managed to get it back, so I know there's been a big search for that for a couple of years. I don't think it's been found, I'm not 100% sure, but hopefully John Sattler, he does eventually in his lifetime, get that jersey back in his arms, because he definitely deserves it. The Rabbitohs, over the last decade or so, I think a couple of times I've actually wheeled out jerseys with half the Rabbitoh on it. Uh, An unbelievable story in rugby league history, Johnny Sattler, one of the toughest bastards to play. If you type in Scott uh, Scott Sattler, rugby league guru into your podcast app, you'll get that interview. Uh, It is unbelievable. I highly advise any rugby league fans should go back and listen to that. If you enjoy your historic side of rugby league, it doesn't get much better than John Sattler in 1970 and just his general life, how he handled himself. Scott would essentially say that he would walk out on the streets and people would try and prove how tough they were and take him on and essentially never saw him lose a fight. Just a different time, but that's the sort of fella John Sattler was. Seems to be a champion fella still. Uh, The stories that I I tell, I hear Scott tell. And uh, just when I see him on his social media and stuff with grandchildren and everything, unreal to see a champion of our game. Stay tuned. Tomorrow morning, Saturday, we're going to go into the top five. There are some huge moments here. We won't be skipping any of them. We will be going through each and every one of them and talking about those on the Rugby League Guru podcast tomorrow morning.